<laughs> we, we discovered that. So uh, me and Doug are just trying to keep up, but we, <laughs> we ain't going to make it, I don't think. Uh, but uh, tonight, um, I want to open up in prayer. I want us to remember a few things. I want us, of course, to ask for the Lord to help us tonight, to give us something that we need for the week. Sunday nights, I really feel, are just a, a great time for us to kind of prepare uh, for the week. It's ending the week, beginning a new one, or, or maybe it's just beginning a new one. I'm not sure which. But either way, it's ending our Sunday of worship together as a body of Christ, but preparing us uh, for the rest of this week. And if we're real honest, we, we don't have a clue what tomorrow morning will look like. We might not have tomorrow morning, but we don't know what Monday will look like. How many of y'all got plans for something this week? Doctor appointment or, okay, so everybody works, something, right? Well, guess what? We don't have a clue if those plans will ever get changed. Now, some of y'all might be going, I hope I get off work, right? That might be the point where you want to get out of a, a, a visit or something. I don't know. But nevertheless, what we do know is this. We have every moment, every breath that the Lord gives to us, and that's what we've got. And so out, out, outside of that, we don't have a clue. But the Lord gives us in His Word some great things and examples for us to look to for help, for guidance. So we're going to ask the Lord for help uh, tonight. But let's as, as well remember the things taking place throughout the world. Remember our missionary, uh, Paul Dudka, continue to pray for, for him and many others who are there serving. And I pray that, um, that God would give protection and opportunity uh, to be used uh, during these uh, dark days. But let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're grateful for another evening that we can gather, we can worship you, Lord. Lord, so thankful for the work that you've done in hearts and lives today, Lord, just for the encouragement we've had as we've sung praises to you, Lord. God, you are worthy. You alone are worthy of praise. And Lord, you're worthy not just on Sundays, but Lord, you're worthy every day of our life. And Lord, forever and forever. So God, I pray that you would help our hearts now to to worship you and, and to be grateful as we open up your word that you've given to us, God, so that we might know you. And Lord, that we would uh, grow in grace and knowledge of you, that we might know you more. And Lord, not just in our, in our minds, but, but have a, a deeper belief and faith in you and trust in you, God. We lift up this world to you, God. Certainly these things do not catch you off guard or by surprise. Lord, you knew these things would happen long before you even made this world. But God, we do ask that you would uh, give guidance and protection to those who need it most. We pray that you would protect the innocent. We pray that you would, um, would use those uh, missionaries, our, our, our dear brother Paul, and, and Lord, countless others who are there and serving uh, your people, God, that you would use them in a great and a mighty way, give them strength, provide for them, meet their needs. And God, help us tonight, God, as we open up your word, Lord, just to be blessed, encouraged, convicted, whatever the need might be, God, that you would meet that need. And Lord, that we might chew on your word throughout this week and to continue to go back and meditate upon the scripture and continue to seek you in prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, turn with me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13, 13th Psalm. All, anyone ever want to say Psalm chapter number so, so but it's just that, that particular Psalm. I, I have that problem sometimes. We get so used to saying that, but Psalm 13 tonight. Psalm 13. Uh, we're going to be looking tonight, and it's a shorter psalm. might even be a, a shorter sermon. I've got a, got a candy in my mouth, so if you hear me slopping around, but it's been a long talking day. <laughs> but uh, y'all got to do something about that long-winded preacher or something. I don't know. We, somebody's got to talk to him. <laughs> uh, tonight, let's, uh, let's read here verses 1 through 6. We're going to break it into two sections. We've got really one big prayer in these six verses, but they're really two prayers in one. We have a, a prayer of despair which is going to be the first four verses, and then a prayer of delight, the last two verses. It really does sort of help us break this, this psalm down. And I believe that much of our prayer life, if we look tonight, should probably model a lot of this. 
There's many times we go to God in prayer and it, all we have for Him is nothing but despair. And we just tell Him all of, our, all of our problems, how everything's bad. And many times in our prayer, we don't ever stop, let alone start, with going, God, you're good. God, you're faithful. Thank you, Lord, for this, that, and everything else. Most of the time, the only thanks that we might give to God during, during a day is breakfast. Lord, thank you for this oatmeal. Lunch, thank you for this ham sandwich. Right? Dinner, right? Thank you for this pot roast. And then, and then we don't pray over dessert, right? We're, we're, ain't no point in doing that, guys, right? And that's coming from the preacher, okay? But we look here tonight. This prayer is going to begin with an absolute place of despair. One of the darkest points, perhaps, in the Psalms, or certainly in David's life, and, and perhaps this might even bring your own memories up, or maybe you're in this first four verses of, of feeling like you're in a time of despair. But nevertheless, even for David, in this dark pit that he finds himself in, even for you tonight, regardless of what you find yourself in, not only can you pray a prayer of despair and tell God all about your needs and your problems and how bad everything is, but then there can also be a prayer of delight on the other end to know and to trust and to rely and to lay yourself down upon the mercy of God for everything. Let's read here, first of all, the, the, whole, the whole psalm, and we'll just work our way through. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Boy, the start of this thing is rough, isn't it? Anyone ever had a prayer that started like this? And it's, it's perfectly okay if you had. I've found myself many times. If we're, we can be honest tonight, where we might say, Lord, how long are you going to forget me? Right, we get in a place in a time like that, sometimes in our life, sometimes it feels like just a moment, and sometimes it is only a moment. Sometimes we feel as if it's years, and sometimes it is this long, extended period of time where we just go, Lord, I can't take much more. How long? Right? We, we, how about this, for example? We, we look at the things happening in the world, and how many of you have looked around, scratched your head, and looked up and said, how long, O oh Lord? How much more will it take? How, how much more are you going to take, Lord, and, until you crush your enemies, until you bring swift judgment righteously? Now, I find myself asking those questions, but certainly we ask those in our personal life. But he begins here with this prayer of despair in verse number 1 by asking the question, and it's going to cover several things, how long? In the first two verses, how long? First of all, how long will you forget me? He says, forever? And hide thy face from me? Here in verse 1, he says, will, uh, how long will you forget me? David here, and this is David, a man after God's own heart, but he's gone through some stuff. Uh, some of it because of his own sin, others because of just the, the, the folks who have rebelled against him and his authority, his kingship and, and everything that they've gone now against God's man. And he says, Lord, how long are you going to forget about me? He's going, I, I'm still here. Where are you? He feels as if God has forgotten all about him. Let me ask you this tonight, and this is no trick question. Does God ever forget? No, right? You and I do, right? We, we might walk into a room and go, why'd I come in here, right? Let me go back into the other room, and I'll walk back in and see if I can remember. But God doesn't have that problem. God has never forgotten a thing. 
And by the way, on the flip side of that, God has never learned a thing neither. You ever thought about that? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Right? Sounds good, don't it, right? It ain't for me. I don't know who it came from. I heard it one time. It's like, oh man, that makes sense, don't it? But you think of this. God is, is infinite in His wisdom and His knowledge and His understanding. So He's never learned and He's never forgotten. He is who He is. He is not growing in godliness, right? He is God. He, there's nothing higher. There's nothing greater. And He's certainly not getting any lower in His mental capabilities uh, of maybe forgetting things, right? Certainly not. So God did not forget David's promises or covenant to his people or to David, but from the human side, it certainly feels this way. You see, though, God moves in his time and for his purpose. Now, the timetable for the Lord, for him, it could be but just a moment, but to you and I, a moment in the eternal things, it could be for us in the physical world a lifetime. Right, it, 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 we we have to understand this that that God doesn't have to operate on our our little timetable that we have. He's given us the times and the seasons, not for Him but for us. Remember, these things were made for us so that you and I might be able to um, have the stars for navigation, for seasons, for times. Um, we can know these things, and, and He gave us groundhogs to know when spring's going to come. The the whole thing, right? That God does all this for us, not because He needs it. God knows what time it is 3,000 years from now, right, when before Genesis 1, okay? It's mind-boggling to think about the mind of the Lord in such a way. But God here doesn't forget. God is moving in His time and His purpose. And here what we find is the human side of this prayer is for us, or for David here, it's, it's this. Lord, help. And then we expect, God says, right there, I'm on it. Right, and we, we we often treat the Lord like a like a magic lamp. We can rub, the genie comes out, grants our wish, goes back in until we need him again. Right? God is no magic genie. He's he's not Santa Claus. He's not the Easter Bunny. He's he's none of those things. God is God. God is not dependent upon our wants and wishes or our timetable and. And we could, we, could, we could ask God for something for a lifetime, and, and if God did not answer in our lifetime or in how we want it, God would still be just as good and just and still would have dealt just as bountifully with us as, as David is going to come to at the conclusion. But on the God side of this, right, which we can not fully imagine, but you and I, we pray and we expect the instantaneous result. Right? We're the same people who no matter how many times we have boiled a pot of spaghetti, still stare at that water going, come on, right? How long until this thing cooks? We're still the same ones that put in popcorn into the microwave, press the popcorn button, and go, how much longer is this going to take? Is it never going to pop? And so with our problems in life that are far greater than microwave popcorn or boiling some spaghetti, when it comes to our health problems, when it comes to things in this world, when it comes to, to changes in life or to the big issues that seem so large to us, we certainly, because it's so big to us, we go, I prayed about it. How come he hadn't done nothing yet? But on the God side of things, we pray and pray. Pray some more. There's some patience that's given. He gives us some grace while we don't have the answer we're looking for yet. 
He gives us the strength to keep praying and to keep waiting and to keep praying and to keep waiting and to keep waiting and pray. And then while we're waiting, we pray some more. At least that's what we're supposed to do, but we often still do what? Lord, how come? Or, Lord, I need this. And then we stop praying about it and we say, I prayed about it. Had something very convicting talking to some other pastor friends about this. And he say, you know, my buddy was going through a hard time in his ministry. And uh, another pastor friend who's, who's our, our close friend as well, the one had said, you know, I, I prayed about it. And I said, well, well did you? Did you did you pray about it, or did you did you have a prayer about it, or did you pray about it? And notice that difference here. We often have a prayer about something, but far often than not, we don't have prayer or pray, but continuously praying over something. But God here on His side of our prayer life and our our in He He does things on His time, and even the silence at times is still yet an answer. Even the grace to continue to pray is still an answer. It's just not the answer that we're looking for. I, I firmly believe that David, if he, would have, if he could have prayed and immediately had all of his troubles taken away, he certainly would have taken that option. And let's be honest, when we pray, aren't we looking for that option too? I know I am. When I pray and tell God about something, I'm, I'm looking for Him to see how important this really is and to, to stop what He's doing to take care of it. But you know something? He still hears our prayers no matter how many times we pray. It is still just as important to him as it is to us, but what we don't see is what he sees, and that is the fact that there are things that we must go through, and we must pray a little bit longer. We must go through a little bit more uh, tribulation, a little more patience building, and a little more faith building through these things before he just might give us the answer that we're looking for. And even still, he might not answer the way in which we had been praying all along, but yet it's still an answer. And in the end, God will ultimately deliver his people, nor will he ever forget you. And this brings us hope that God never forgets you. The Bible tells us that His thoughts are many towards us. Now here when we look at this, it is often the waiting that brings the worth to the deliverance of God's people. Have you ever had something in your life that you, I mean, you've agonized over this. This is one of those things that you thought God should have answered right then and right there, and He didn't. It took maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe even years of going through agony, misery, of, of fighting a spiritual battle day after day after day, justifying the strength to keep going and persevering and to keep praying these prayers of how long, Lord? How long, Lord? But then once you got through it and you were able to stop and look backwards at what God had brought you through and how God had delivered you, even though it took longer than what you had hoped, God was faithful through it. God gave you grace through it. God gave you strength through it. And what came to your mind then? It was worth it. Didn't mean that you liked it but it became worth it. There is worth in waiting for these things. There is worth in waiting for God to move because when God does move, God moves. Now here then, not only does He say, how long will thou forget me, O Lord? He's trusting in God's Lordship that He is, he is a Lord. He is the, the ruler of all things. He certainly rules over David's life. He rules over the affairs of His people. He, he knows all things in this world. And then He asks, forever? I mean, here, David's even going... Lord, I mean, you've been forgetting about me for a while. Are you going to continue to do so for, forever? And David here means forever. He feels as if God has just forgotten his promises. God has forgotten David. God says, eh, just, I'm done. See, the word forever actually means continually or utterly. So it is that of David saying, are you going just to continuously forget about me? 
You're going to continuously let the wicked prosper while I'm here doing what I'm supposed to be doing, being who you said I should be, and you're still not going to answer? You're still going to keep forgetting me, Lord? You see, back in just the previous psalm, Psalm 12, verse 5, it's for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. I believe here that David is quite possibly looking back at what God has revealed to him and saying, I'm going to arise. And I'm going to have justice. I'm going to protect my people. And David's going, well, how much longer? You said you were going to. When God says something, he means it. God says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to move and I'm going to do such and such. That means he's going to. But notice over in Psalm 12, verse 5, he says, now will I rise. The now means when he does. It is for you and I, in our mind, we go, well, that means I'm getting up right now. I'm going right now. And for the Lord, it certainly is a right now he's getting up. But for David, yet still, he's still waiting in this process. Now will I rise, though God will deliver His own. He will do so in His way and in His time. Now here then, He says, How long wilt thou hide thy face from Me? You ever, for us, we think of this a little bit different because we have different culture, different dynamic, that sort of thing. But if you had a relationship with somebody, right? Maybe you're in the church, and they could never make eye contact with you, and you cross each other in the hall, and you look at them, and then they just do this at you, right? And keep walking. You're going to go, well, something's not right here, right? The, the, there's a breakdown in the relationship, clearly, isn't it, right? If you can't even look at each other, let alone talk to each other. The idea here in, in the, the Eastern sort of culture and world is that the hiding of God's face, it was a, what we call an anthropomorphic or expression for alienation and curse, it, it, this describes God in, in a way that you and I can understand, a, a human aspect of that God is sort of shunning David, if you will, to hide his face. It is that he's alienating him. He's, he's pushing him away. He's even, the idea for them to hide a face was, was to bring about a curse. It was, it was that you're cursing this other individual. It's that you're alienating them. It's like you're going, I, I want nothing to do with you. This shows us the severity and the depth of how terrible David feels right now in this experience. He goes, Lord, you forgot about me. You're going to keep forgetting about me forever, continuously, over and over and over again? Every day you're going to keep forgetting me, God? And then he says, and how long are you going to hide your face from me? Is that how long are you going to alienate yourself from me? David is missing this sort of close fellowship of which he once enjoyed and had. And he's going, how come? What's going on? See, God's face towards you is imagery of His presence and blessing. I want to read for you a very, uh, probably familiar passage. Um, the book of Numbers tells us in Numbers chapter 6, this is, um, this is a, a benediction given to the people of Israel that is still used in, in, in many times uh, today in different services and different folks read it and use it. But nevertheless, here it is. It says in, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it's for the children of Israel, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So here the idea 
several times in that passage that, that God gives to Moses to give to Aaron to give to the people is that uh, let the Lord let His face shine upon you. It is that if the Lord is looking on you, that means the idea for them in their mind is His favor, His blessing, His presence. So it would be like uh, uh, for us today saying, may the Lord bless you. Right? May the Lord go with you, sort of thing. Uh, my, my mind, and I'm sorry about this, if you don't like Star Wars, I'm sorry, but my mind goes to what the, they used to say in Star Wars, the force be with you, sort of thing. When they're about to leave each other, the Jedi leave each other and say, the force be with you, the force be with you. All right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But we think about this. Now here, here, their mentality is that David feels that God has now shunned him, therefore alienating him. He says, how long, how long until you look upon me again? David is desiring to experience the blessing as well as the blessed presence of God. And there is no greater blessing than to have that fellowship and presence of God in your life. He then continues with the how long. He says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Shall I take counsel in my soul, sorrow in my heart, enemy exalted? begins with this inward despair. The, the inward despair is perhaps even worse than the outward despair that David ever faced, or even for you and I. Right? The worst thing that anyone in this world could ever do to a believer is kill our body. Right? The action of the body, be present with the Lord. Worst thing that will ever happen to a, a Christian today is that you will die and go to heaven. Okay? That's not all that bad. We think about this, though. The worst despair that we find is the inward. The, the mind and the heart that gets filled of doubt and discouragement, which becomes a sort of de depressed state, becomes despair. Everything is just terrible. Everything is fearful. Everything is terrifying. Everything is no good. There is no peace within. All of these things. Now David, though, here what is implied is that he has begun taking counsel in his own soul. David has turmoil in his thoughts and his feelings. A lot of times what happens is when you and I Sin, or when we have a problem in our life, what do we like to do? We sit and we think. But yet our sitting and thinking about a problem or an issue or a worry stops, stops being thinking and then turns into stewing, right? And then stewing turns into where now we're consumed by it. And now we can't think about anything else. Our minds are just gone. Our hearts are in despair. Because our minds started thinking a little too long about something that we can't control anyways. And, and, and if we were probably honest with ourselves, or if you're anything like me, we think and dwell on the things that we can't control more than the things that we can. We think about the stuff that we, we have to go all the time and remind our minds and remind our hearts going, I have no control over that. I can't control this situation. I can't control that. Right? We look at this and we feel so helpless about the things taking place in the world today because truly we are. We can pray and that's about all we got. But we do feel so helpless in so much of our own life and in so many of our own situations. But David's inward despair has happened to him. Now he's beginning to look to himself for answers. Having sorrow in my heart daily. This is not a good place. We can never look inward to the solution of our problem. I have here, do not think on your problems, but pray about your problems. I spend far too much time here in my own brain thinking about all the ways things can go wrong 
and then all the ways that I can try to fix them, right? How many of you probably spend more time thinking about problems that haven't even happened yet, and, you, and you're, you're thinking about problems that haven't even happened yet, and now you're trying to figure them out, right? Doesn't it drive you crazy? I mean, it don't help us a lick, and yet we still do it. I'll, I'll find myself praying, and it seems to happen a lot when I pray. I'll begin praying, and then all of a sudden, I'm praying about a situation, but now my praying about that situation turns into now I'm thinking about uh, an, an imaginary thing that hasn't even happened yet that could go wrong and how I'm going to respond to it, and then about, well, what if that happens this? And then I go back and I go, well, Lord, I was praying about this thing. I, this is, hasn't even happened yet. What am I doing? We cannot look so inward. Our minds will deceive our own minds. Our minds can deceive our own hearts. Our inward can affect our outward greatly. It is our inward that then turns into the outward despair. He says that his enemy is making this open show. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, Lord? You see in the Psalms all the time, will the wicked continue to prosper? When, when those who are, who are trusting the Lord, those who are trying to serve the Lord, seem to continue to fall by the wayside, to never make it. You, you ever wonder that sometimes? Right? We, go, we look and we see, by the world's standards, the, the wicked seem to have all the success, all the power, and we're trying just to serve the Lord, and we just feel like we can't even catch a break sometimes. But nevertheless, we have something that they don't have, that we can rely on, that we can depend on, and that's Jesus. It's the fact that we know Him and we can take counsel and rest in Him. As we then found here, David had looked back at Psalm 12, verse 8. He says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. He says, How long are they going to continue to be exalted, Lord, here in, chapter thir- in Psalm 13? We want to talk about feelings for just a moment, though. What do we know about the situation? We know that David's going through a tough time. This is one of many, a multitude of possible situations that David went through in his life where people were against him when he should have been sitting upon the throne and being God's man and doing the things for God and leading God's people. Instead, rebels and others had risen up against him and it seems that his heart has gone and his mind has gone to, to despair. These are feelings. Feelings are natural, by the way. We're born emotional creatures. We are born expressive creatures. We express our our emotions to each other, to the Lord. We are meant to have emotions. We're meant to be different. We're not meant to stay just like this all the time, right? We're meant to have these ups and downs, but we're never meant to allow our feelings to control us. We are meant to, first of all, recognize our feelings, and we must recognize our feelings. You should know more than anybody else and before anybody else when you are not okay. And then in that you should be able to not only recognize it, but go, Lord, I'm not okay. And if need be as well to tell someone else that you trust, I'm not okay. We must recognize our feelings. We're designed to feel and to think by God, to use logic, to use our emotions to our advantage and to keep them under control, to keep them bridled. To not be unstable. We must not be ruled, though, by our feelings. Recognize them, but do not allow them to rule you. 
perhaps one of the grave dangers of our Christians today, and ourselves included, is that we are often so controlled by our emotions or our thoughts or our feelings over the facts of things. Right? Especially for those of us who raised our hand earlier about being overthinkers about things. We then let our feelings, if we think about something too long, even if it hasn't even happened. And then now what? We feel despair on the inside. We're worried. Now we're anxious. Now we're nail-biting. Right? Now we're a little short and, and snippy and frustrated with everybody else and nothing else is right in our life. And now it begins to snowball and a snowball and it's getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse. We cannot let our emotions control us. But on the other side of that too, it's not just about bad emotions or being sad or angry or hurt or upset. But as well, we must not be so controlled by our emotions with that of happiness or joy or, or any of those things that, that it makes us to where we're now just so optimistic that we forget about the reality of things, where we only see the good, right? We, you know, psychologists talk about different types of people, right? If I were to have a glass and I were to pour it, um, well, this is going to tell my person, I guess, half full, right? There'd be someone in here who said, no, pastor, that's half empty, right? <laughs> and there'd be others who say, well, there's a smudge on the glass, right? We would all see this glass of water totally different, at the end of the day, what will we see and what it should be? The real reality was that, well, it's halfway full, it's halfway not full, it's got more to go, but it's still just a glass of water. You can drink it or not. There might be a smudge, there might not be. Who knows? You can always wipe it off or wash it or get another cup. There's a whole lot more to it than just is it half full, half empty. We, we have to find ourselves in a place where we know and understand our feelings, but we can bridle them and bring them under subjection to where they do not do the same thing to us to where we're controlled by our emotions. What is happening today is that, especially politically and, and things taking place, and especially with the younger generations, to be honest with you, is that feelings are more important than, than facts. But it's been said that facts don't care about your feelings, and they, and they really don't. Facts are facts, feelings are feelings, but we have to understand that feelings, though, are necessary. We cannot throw out facts because they hurt our feelings. But we can't throw out feelings because they're hurt by facts. Feelings still feel. Feelings are still real. Whether we see them, understand them, or, or, or justified or not. But we have to understand that feelings then must be controlled and determined by the facts. So this means this. right? We, we praise the Lord this morning. It was great. But why was there applause after Behold Our God sung. I've been here a little over six months, and I don't think it's happened after just a congregational song. How come? Was it because it was a new song? We're going, finally, new, new song. No, I don't believe so. Was it because JL sang Extra Good, which he did, by the way, right? <laughs> or anybody else? I don't believe it was for that either. I believe that it was a response to the facts that had just been sung, right? That's where this comes in. So in our worship service and our spiritual life, our feelings about who God is should be determined based upon just that, who God is, the facts of who He is, the facts of what He has done. That is what should bring us the little tinglys. That, that's not the, the music that should do it. It's not the lights or the ambiance that should do it. It is looking at who God is. It is truly beholding Him. The facts of who God is that does produce these feelings. And so in a time like David's life, we must not look to our feelings for the answers. We must not look to the feelings to get us out of here. 
We must not look for feelings to, to lead us out, but all the thing that our feelings can often do is to lead us astray at times. He then, though, says in verse number 3, consider and hear me. His prayer starts to get a little bit more soft. and He says, consider and hear me. This is a plea to God who seems to have hidden Himself and ignored David. The idea of being considered is if you forgot something and then someone says, well, have you considered? Right? It's that to bring me back to memory, Lord. And in this, how God has hidden His face, David feels. Meaning, another way is we gave the illustration earlier of if you're walking down a hallway and someone else is walking this way and you say hi and they do this and ignore you, right? The other way would be this. If you say hi and they go, la, 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 la. Right? I don't hear you. I don't hear you. And this is how David feels. He knows that God hears him, but he feels as if God is not listening. Does that make sense? So he says, consider me. Remember me. Hear me. Listen to me. And he says, O Lord my God. This is very important. He recognizes that God is the Lord. That He knows, Lord, You're Lord. I might be king that You appointed on this earth, and there might be other kings and kingdoms, but You alone are the Lord over all of Your creation. But then He says the second one, and I believe this is very important as well. It is the personal relationship which He has with God. O Lord, my God. There is this personal walk that he knows God, not just as Lord and as God, but even as his own shepherd. Later on, you'll see the Lord is my shepherd, not just the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David has his personal walk with him. He says, lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This is getting rough for him. Lest my enemies say to me, I prevailed against him. Those that told me rejoice when I move. One commentator puts this little passage this way. He says, Divine abandonment and alienation made the psalmist experience despair, but God's look, expressive of favor, renews life. Second, the psalmist asks for God to answer him. The answer is a positive message of God's favor by which the Lord frees his servant from the causes of the anguish of soul. Third, the psalmist believes that only by God's favor will he receive light for his eyes. This idiom expresses the effect of God's blessing. People relieved from troubles and blessed with God's protection, peace, and favor show their inner spiritual condition and their outward appearance. Their eyes sparkle with God's grace. On the other hand, the experience of anguish is expressed by the dimness of the eyes. You know, isn't that true? They say the eyes are the windows to the soul or something like that, right? Eyes tell a lot is really the idea, isn't it? The, the eyes really can tell you a lot. Someone's happy, someone's sad, someone's crying, someone's elated, someone's surprised, someone's scared. Many things. Um, I, I got to perform a, a wedding yesterday. and It was beautiful, a great time. It was for a, a young man who was in my youth group. and um, It was just a really neat full circle moment. Same, my same home church, the same spot where Cammie and I got married. So it was a very neat, neat experience. But like most bride and groom, by the time they got to rehearsal, they're going, we just, we get through this thing, you know, all the stress, all the, everything else has come in, right? And, it, and it's tough, right? You got so much going on, but you kind of see in their eyes, it's just like, are we doing it right? Are we saying it right? Is this over with? Can we just make it to tomorrow? All this stress built up, 
all this anguish built up in those eyes, and you can see it. All you got to look at is this to know how the bride feels or how the groom feels, right? But then the great joy was yesterday after about a 17-minute service. It was, get it done, right? It was great. So side note, if any of you ever want a marriage, right, we, 15 to 20, all right, that's that sweet spot, all right? We'll get you out of there. Let's get some food, okay? But I remember watching them walk back up and preparing to take their pictures. And their eyes looked different. Their eyes were relieved, were full of joy. And then they looked at me and said, can we go now? I said, we well, got to take your pictures, right? And then we got to eat, okay? So we, not yet, but, but they were so thrilled. The weight had been lifted. It was all worth it. And it became even more worth it for Pastor Joe when he got to eat some brisket at the, at the reception. <laughs> I would have done it all over again for a bite of that brisket. But you think about it, those eyes did tell a lot. The same way, too, the eyes told a lot during the ceremony, holding each other's hands and looking to each other's eyes. It may as well have been no one else around. Same with that first dance. And you think about that. The eyes tell so much. David says, lighten mine eyes, O Lord. You ever pray a similar prayer? It might sound a little bit like this instead of like his. Of Lord, open mine eyes. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what you're doing. Lord, I don't need to know all the answers, but just God, just give me a glimpse so I can keep on pressing forward. God, let me see a little bit of light in the tunnel. Lord, if I can't see the light in the tunnel, Lord, show me, put a spotlight on the cross. Put a spotlight on your grace. Remind me of your presence, Lord. And he does. David then says, lest mine enemy say I've prevailed against him and those that have troubled me rejoice when I am moved. He even says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's really saying, Lord, please, I'm asking you for this, lest I die. Lest my enemies prevail against me. Not only do I die and they prevail, but then they're going to rejoice about it. He says, Lord, for your name's sake, don't let this happen. Lord, for my sake, don't let this happen. But now, verses 5 and 6, we get to the prayer of delight and we'll be done. Really, the prayer of despair, those first four verses, that's, that's just the introduction. And the real message tonight is this. Verse number 5. Notice the transition. But. This really changes everything, doesn't it? But I have trusted in thy mercy. Notice David does not say, but I have trusted in my goodness. David does not say, but I have trusted in my position. David does not say, but I have trusted in my sling or my sword or my shield or my arrows or my soldiers or my sandals. No, he says, I have trusted in thy mercy. It is God's mercy that has ever called and saved David and used David to do the things that he has done. It is God's mercy that has kept him in that position. It is God's mercy that has led and spared David every single day. And the only thing that keeps you on that pew right now and me standing upright is the mercy of God. It is all of God's grace, which is a gift of which we don't deserve, and His mercy, which is a withholding of what we do deserve. The two go hand in hand. David here says, but I'm going to trust in your mercy. The idea of trusted here is that not only I've trusted once, but I keep trusting, and I keep trusting, and I keep trusting. If there's anything that you and I have when we sin that we can trust in, it is the mercy of God. 
If there is anything that you and I can trust in when we're on a mountaintop and things are great spiritually, it's the mercy of God. Everything. He then says, my heart. Remember, his heart was the one he, he was seeking counsel from that was making him so full of despair at times. He says, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And when you and I think of the word salvation, we think of repentance, faith, being born again. Salvation, though, is a very broad term that deals with a multitude of things. It has the idea of deliverance. David is saying, I'm trusting in my heart and rejoicing in my heart in your salvation that you will bring. You'll either bring it now, you'll bring it later in my life at a time that you see fit, or I'll see your salvation when I'm in your presence. And that's the same truth for you and I today to hold on to. That salvation, though we are saved from our sins, that there is still this sort of, we are being delivered from this present body and this present world, and that one day our full and final salvation, if you will, will be our glorification, where we are with our Lord forevermore. Where we'll no longer have to fight the war of sin or pain or death or sorrow or separation or any of these things of despair. God's salvation is the Merciful, is mercifully taking care of all of David's needs. It always has and always will. And the same for you and I tonight. Lastly tonight, David says, I will sing unto the Lord because He hath dealt bountifully with me. He does not say, I will sing to the Lord because He has given me the prettiest voice in all of Israel. Now, David seems to have been able to be fairly inclined musically, Right? Nevertheless, though, he doesn't say that. He says, I sing not because of who I am or what I've done, but I sing because of who God is. Because God has dealt bountifully to me. David knows and recognizes that even if David did die, even if he did uh, get conquered by his enemies, that God was still more bountiful to him than he ever deserved. I believe you and I would do a whole lot better probably in our spiritual walks if we really realized that if you and I face death right now or face the worst rest of our life ever, unimaginable pain or sorrow or grief, that yet God has still been more good to us than we ever deserved. And we don't deserve an ounce of God's goodness. That's what grace and mercy does though. It gives us Himself. It gives us the Lord's presence. It gives us all of who He is. We don't deserve any of it. We don't, we don't deserve a drop of mercy or a cup of grace, but yet He continues to pour it out upon us day by day, continuously renewing us from the inside out so that we can still continue to press forward by faith in Him. So that you and I too can say that even in the midst of something so sorrowful, we can still sing unto the Lord because He hath dealt bountifully with me. It reminds me of the song, It Is Well, and the way in which it was written. It was written out of such deep heartache of seeing and knowing, watching family die in a tragic way, an unimaginable way. And yet it can still be well with your soul, as it should be. I will sing. May our hearts be reminded whenever we do sing, whether it's in choir practice, whether it's behold our God, whether it's congregation, whether it's in your car, whether it's washing dishes, whether it's whoever, by yourself, out in the middle of nowhere, or with a whole big choir, that we sing in the Lord because He has dealt so graciously and bountifully with me.
towards me. I want to leave you with this tonight. Spurgeon has said, Faith keeps the soul from sinking under heavy trials by bringing in former experiences of the power, mercy, and faithfulness of God to the afflicted soul. I want to tell you that the affliction that you have ever faced in your soul, the despair that you have faced, the trying times that you have faced, that you've made it out of, you know what those were for? Ultimately, it's that way you could look back and go, look what God did. Look what God delivered me from. And look how God done it because it certainly wasn't me. It reminds us that even in the midst of heavy trials or affliction or despair, that God is still powerful to save us, that He is still mighty in His mercy, and that He is always and forever shall He be faithful to His people, and especially to those of His children who are afflicted in their minds, in their hearts, in their circumstances. So tonight, I don't know your situation. I don't know what your past week looked like. I don't know what this coming week is going to look like. I don't know the past few years, let alone anything. But I do know this. We can have our prayers of despair. Tell God all about it. He can handle it. Trust me. But have your prayer of despair turn, be turned into a prayer of delight. Because we can trust that even in the midst of our sorrows, despairs, and afflictions, that God is merciful and that God will deal with us rightly and justly. And that He will be faithful in all things and that there is coming one day, whether here, there, or in the air, a full and final salvation and a full and final deliverance. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. Grateful that we can gather, that we can worship you, that we can sing of your praises and your worth and your goodness. Help us tonight as a psalmist to be able to sing unto you because you have dealt bountifully to us. God, may we trust in your mercy. May our hearts rejoice in your salvation. Lord, may we as well, though, regardless of what we face, tell you all about it, even in the midst of all, of all of our despair. Lord, I pray, though, that if anyone is going through such tonight, God, that you would deliver them, give them courage, strength to continue to make it through, Lord, that they might have their hearts able to rejoice and to sing to you tonight, even though they're not sure physically and humanly how they can, Lord, we can through the power of your Spirit, through your Word, through your goodness, and through your faithfulness. God, may we trust in your truth, May we live and walk by faith this week. And God, I pray that we would be used of you. Help us, Lord, to see the opportunities that are there, submit to your Holy Spirit, and to be used of you mightily this week. God, go before us and go with us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all are dismissed. Have a great night, and we'll see you Wednesday night, Lord willing.